0: A delightful uh, gift for you, our listening audience, um, because the voice you just heard in the song you hear as the walk-up every single day for mornings with Carmen. uh, The song is "Lions," the band is Skillet, and uh, the lead singer is John Cooper, and he's actually my first guest in this hour. We're going to talk about his new book, "Awake and Alive to Truth: Finding the Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World." Um, Let me lead off this morning by reminding you. To saturate your life with the scriptures. Like just soak in the Word of God today. Let us be in the Word of God in order that the Word of God might be in us, that when the world squeezes us, and we know it will, what comes out is the very Word of God. Uh, You're going to hear a lot today about tomorrow being Giving Tuesday or today being Cyber Monday or Black Friday, going on and on and on this year. I don't want us to lose sight of the real season in which we find ourselves, and that is the season of Advent. We are intentionally anticipating the coming of Christ, the manifestation of God in the person of Jesus. We call it the incarnation, uh, where God puts on flesh to dwell among us in the person of Christ. And if you like Easter, then you got to like Christmas, because Easter wouldn't happen were it not for the incarnation of God in the person of Christ. So Easter is dependent on Christmas, and in the lead up to Christmas, we prepare our hearts and minds to receive Jesus, and that is what we call the season of Advent, and we are now in it. If you want to join us uh, in some Advent seasonal activities, just go to MyFaithRadio.com and, I don't know, opt in to all the cool stuff we've got going on. All right, next up, uh, we're going to talk with John Cooper. You know him from Skillet. You know the song Lions. You every it every day. Uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk about his new book, Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding the Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. We'll be right back. That is Awake and Alive by Skillet. Joining me now, John Cooper. Hey, welcome back.
2: Hey, how's it going this morning?
0: It is going, you know what? I am blessed. So it's going good. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I loved your intro. it It was awesome hearing my song on there. And then you talked about the incarnation and I thought, well, this is a great way to wake up.
0: There you go. It's a great way to wake up. All right. We get them going every day with Lions because it's my, um. if I had like a, a walk-up song, if I were a baseball player, that would be uh, my song because it gets me like actually like dancing. Like I'm, I don't dance. I'm not, that's not my thing, but I do to that. Like I'm, I'm up. I'm, that's my song. So there you go. I appreciate, I appreciate you, you giving it to me so that I can be revved up by it.
2: That's awesome! I love it.
0: <laughs> All right, so you have a great new project. Uh, the book is "Awake and Alive to Truth: Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World." John, this book um, feels like uh, it is written to an emerging generation of people who are asking very real questions, and so you actually just lay the questions out um, in the book one by one. Um, that actually, you know, provides the framework. Of the book, I want to um, I want to invite you to to start today where you actually open, which is a story from a night in your bedroom when you were five years old. Can you can you tell that story?
2: Oh sure, yeah. Well, I guess it probably would need to start with the fact that I that I was raised in a Christian family. My mom was a Jesus fanatic, and uh, and and I mean that in in the best way. Uh, my mom loved God, and ever since I can remember, I, I, uh, my mom was reading the Bible to me. And my, I had an older brother; he was four years older than me, and we would hear Bible stories every single morning. My mom would tell us about the Bible and teach us stories. So I just, I always kind of believed that God was real. And when I was five years old, is I was alone in my bedroom and. And I tell the story in there, and I, and I realize it's a little bit of a weird story, but I just felt that I had, you know, I had, someone was in my room. I had that feeling, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, you think you're seeing things in your room or what have you. Those kind of things happen to me a lot, but I did feel that, I, that someone was in my room, and I ran downstairs and told my parents, and my dad was like, you know, you, you get yourself upstairs and go to bed. And uh, and that happened. And on the third time that I I was certain that there was someone in my room, I just had this sense in my brain that I I just I I didn't hear a voice. But in my brain, I felt that a voice said to me, you need to give your heart to Jesus. And so I said, "Okay, I'll give my heart to Jesus. And I remember saying, Jesus, you're the boss. Uh, Whatever you say, you know, basically is right. You're the boss. I'll give my heart to you and so it was um funny because one of the things that i did not include in the book just because i you know you you, you put some things in you put don't put some things in the next day my mom said john i want to talk to you about giving your heart to jesus <laughs> and i said mm. i said i did that last night <laughs> she said what do you mean you did that last night and i said well, i was afraid to tell you because you know i always see things in my room and and i always yeah i was a kid that had a hard time going to sleep and and so in the book, I kind of say, look, I have no idea what that all was about. But what I do know it was about was that I believed in God ever since I was a kid. I had a mother that taught me about the Bible, and I knew when I gave my life to Jesus, I knew that I was a sinner, um, and I knew that I had done bad things. You know, me and my, my older brother fighting and arguing. My mom would tell me how that was wrong, how it was a sin, and I would need to ask forgiveness. And I understood those things, and, and I just had, uh, I've just i had such a blessed life that God called me as a young person, and I, and I never went through that backsliding time, and I never went through that deconstructing my faith time, and I'm just so blessed. And my mom taught me how to build my life on the Word of God, and, it, and, 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 and I've never been shaken from that. And when I look at young people today, millennials, uh, the, the culture millennials are in, I hardly see anyone who is building their life on the Word of God. Even the Christian people that I've known ha- are so shaken, and they're being raised in a really difficult culture. And I just felt, you know what, maybe I could do my part uh, in, in writing something that could hopefully encourage people in their faith and remind people not, not of anything new, but remind them of something old. It's old wisdom. It's wisdom that, that never changes. It's wisdom that my mom taught, taught me.
0: John, the book is um, part testimony, which you have just you know laid out it's also um, just this wonderful like conversational invitation it's part philosophy. Um, I appreciated that you know you don't um, you don't shy away from having uh, critical conversations in the book about the philosophies of the day and why we are where we are, like how we got here. Um, And I'm just going to read a few of the, they're actually the subheads to the chapters. um, So you guys will know the kinds of questions that are addressed in here. It leads off with how can I build my life on an unshakable foundation, but then it moves to um, why does truth seem to change every day? How can I know the truth never changes? Am I capable of finding truth on my own? Can my emotions lead me to the truth? If God is love, can I find truth by being a loving person? Can I choose to believe only the truths of God that I like? Uh, why does the Bible seem... Oh, this is a you know, if Jesus is loving and compassionate, why does the Bible seem mean at times? And then what's in it for me? And 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 the and the walk off is really uh, super duper invitational, which is. So what should I do now? And um, and I want to move. Um, I want to move through some of those, John. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with John Cooper. The project is awake and alive to truth, finding the truth in the chaos of a relativistic world. Um, you know John Cooper from Skillet. He is also the author of this book. We'll be right back. If you can... Continue my conversation with John Cooper, lead uh, singer for Skillet, also the author of Awake and Alive to Truth. Um, John, um, what do you fear?
2: What do I fear? Like it, like sharks? Or do you mean like something deeper? <laughs>
0: <laughs> sharks is a good answer. One of my favorite like YouTube videos is Don't Go to the Sharks House. Like right, don't uh, don't go to the shark's house. Like right, go to the beach but don't go to the shark's house. Okay. Um I mean, I yeah, you could do what. sharks or you could do something uh something deeper.
2: Oh man, I am deathly afraid of sharks. I think it's because I, I remember seeing Jaws on TV when I was a kid mm-hmm. in the 70s and I have never ever forgotten that. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um uh in terms of something deeper, you know, when if I look at society and I think like watching, I have two kids, and I know a lot of people listening probably have kids. My, my daughter is eighteen, my son is fifteen, and uh, j- the idea of them being raised in a culture that that has no foundation and and I think you mentioned it, it truth that changes every day, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I, every day these kids have to go on social media to find out what they're allowed to say, what they're not allowed to say, what. What now is not acceptable, and who they have to be? Uh, life for young people is really hard, and and I, I fear leaving a legacy. Uh, I guess I would say I fear, I fear leaving them in a world, in a world that is just relativistic truth. Uh, that just it's just chaos. And I mean, I think if you turn on the TV now and you look at social media now, that's exactly what we're in. We're in a chaotic world.
0: We are in a chaotic world, and yet we, you know, we worship a God who from the very beginning hovered over the chaos and brought forth order. Um, and I feel like that's in large measure what you are bearing witness to in this book. You are bearing witness to the stability of the divine order. Um, yes. And so t- so talk about— um, Talk about some portion of the book that stands out to you. I mean, I love the shock and shock, shock and awe um, one, but that's pretty far down. Um, Why don't we talk about the um, uh, the reality that young people are living in today where there's sort of this your truth, my truth, um, you know, or truth, truth moves. Talk about some of those realities that kids are dealing with.
2: Sure. Well, yeah. Well, I I think you you like to shock and awe because that's the good news part. <laughs> the, the book takes you through through a lot of bad news, and then the end of the book takes you into the good news because it, it basically says, okay, there's only one way to find truth, and, and that is go, you know through Jesus Christ. That's through the Bible because those are the words that never change. Those are the truths that never change, and so therefore you have to be prepared to believe some amazing things because the Bible te- it tells us amazing things about what Christ has done for us and how he wants to change you from a sinner into a saint. And that is, a, I mean, it's almost too good to be true, but that we're, like you say, we're jumping ahead of the gun. A lot of the book deals with the things that it, millennial culture and, and young people today are dealing with on an everyday basis. It's this idea that, that, you can have a truth that is different than my truth, and your experience opens you up to things that I could never know, um, and all sorts of different philosophies in that. and that, and it really is to do with relativism, and and you know that that maybe the sky isn't even blue, maybe the sky is green, or maybe there is, there actually isn't a sky. I can only know that through looking into my heart and following my own path or my own goodness or following my own light, whatever that may be. And the thing that I think is really frightening is how these ideas, and of course, you know, they're antithetical to to the Bible, we know that, but what is really strange is how those ideas have seeped into modern Christianity and Christians don't even know it. You know, there's a study that came out about three months ago, that said of all of the millennial Christians. So these are millennials who claim to be Christians, only 3% believe in absolute truth, 3%. So how can you even believe in Christ if you don't believe mm-hmm. in absolute truth? So I think that those are, those are frightening things. But, but as you said, the good news is that God brings order to chaos. And, and that's the book starts with Jesus's wonderful words saying, when he says, hey, there are two different kinds of people. There are people that hear my words, but they do not act upon them. And that that is like a man who builds his house upon the sand and it will be washed away with the storm. But there's another kind of person who hears my words, believes them and acts upon them. And he is like someone that builds his house upon a rock. The the storms come, the waves come, but it remains unshakable. And that is the really good news. And if we teach our young people that, if we teach them there is truth that doesn't change. You just can't find it within yourself. You have to go outside of yourself to a God who created the world with order. And as long as you do that, and you line yourself up to the Word of God, then your life is going to be blessed. You will be fulfilled because you're operating within God's design. So the the book ends with great news, as you said, because it says there's, there's two paths. One leads to life and one leads to death. And then the book ends with a gospel presentation, what it means to know Christ and to be made brand new, so it's quite evangelistic.
0: When you were um, sharing about—I uh, I mean, I don't even know if, if when we're talking about little children if the word conversion is even right, but your reception of the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ, when the, the night you made him your boss— um, or you accepted him as the boss of your life. I was um I was reminded of the conversation we just recently had um with Michael Card and he shared his testimony of being a little a little boy um and having a pastor ask him, you know, do you want to ask uh Jesus into your heart? And and his response was, um, Jesus already asked me into his heart. And I do think there is this um There is this resonance that some of you who are worship leaders, some of you who bring to us, you bring the Word of God to us in substantial ways, and you do so through the art of music, Um, there is a a soulfulness, a soulishness, a depth, a heart, um, an evoking of right emotions that is very, very powerful, and it comes out of this very deep place Um, for you. So uh, as we conclude this conversation, I would like for you to talk about emotions, because you deal with it in the book. And as a worship leader, as a person who leads us into worship through song, um, you are evoking emotion all the time. Can you talk about that? Oh,
2: sure. I I do talk about it in the book. And, you know, it's like we're holding this balance uh, of, I mean, how good is God to us Mm. that he he created us to have emotions. I mean, that is part of who he clearly wants us to be. And I, I you know, I mentioned in the book. Isn't it wonderful that we can love someone, that we can love our kids, or we can enjoy ice cream? Imagine a world where where you didn't enjoy what you ate, um, and and you didn't have that. Yeah, you know, I think C.S. Lewis kind of puts it in terms of we know what pleasure is because we have pain. In a certain way, it's a little bit of the grace of God that we can understand these things. And, and I talk a little bit about the, the fact that, that God wants us to have that emotion. That is a wonderful thing. But emotion, just like, just like our minds and, and whatnot, must be made new and, 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 and become redeemed. And so emotion has to be put in its proper place, which is, of course, under the lordship of Christ. So writing music is wonderful because I believe that music is just supernatural. There's something spiritual about music. It's funny how the Bible doesn't talk a lot about why that is, but I think of that amazing story in the Old Testament when uh, King Saul is being tormented by evil spirits and, and they call on a young David to come play music before the king. And a young David, of course, is anointed by God and... And he's plays skillfully, and the demons flee from Saul. I mean, we don't really understand exactly why music is powerful, yet it is. So those emotions, I think, are a really good thing. But in the book, I talk about if you if you try to follow your emotions instead of the Word of God, it will you will end up in destruction, and you'll and end up in and chaos. You'll end up in sin because we are prone to stray. It's part of the fall and and none of us can get away with that. And I even talk about in the book, which I guess could seem like even worse news is even when you're redeemed, even when you are a new creation, you still can't trust your emotions. So there's that feeling of people say, yeah, but but I'm a Christian. And so whatever I feel in my heart must be right. And that is still not the case. And the, the Bible still gives us a lot of guidelines that that our ways are not his ways, our thoughts are, are not his thoughts. And so we have to be constantly digging down into the word of God and uh and that will lead our paths. So I do talk about that and and it is interesting we live in a time you know where people are de- in the world and in the church where people are deeply led by their emotions and it's it's really caused a lot of havoc. So you know the last thing the last thing I would want to do would be to teach people to not be emotional about your faith. I'm, I'm quite emotional about my faith uh, because G- Jesus saved me and he, he turned me into someone that I never could have been. Uh, and, you know, the only reason that we are making it through this interview is because of the grace of God holding hmm. us, that you know, Christ is interceding for us right now as we speak. And if he weren't, we would be in a bad, bad position that's worth getting emotional about. We just have to keep our emotions in check to the Word of God, and I think that's a really important message for young people.
0: Amen. I love the conversational nature of the book. Um, John Cooper, thank you so much for Awake and Alive to Truth. Uh, It is finding the truth in the chaos of a relativistic world. Um, It's a book now available, obviously, Awake and Alive by Skillet, a great complimentary song. Um, to the book, or maybe the book to the song—I don't know. Chicken and egg, right? John, <laughs> John, as always, um, thank you so much for the way you live out your faith and for sharing with us today uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you again. I appreciate it.
0: Great to talk with you as well. We got to take a quick break for Break Point. Okay. In um, what you might consider a failure on my part to tell you where you could get John Cooper's book, let me um, uh, let me tell you, you go to johnlcooper.com backslash book. You could just go to actually backslash store if you want to as well. Johnlcooper.com is what you're looking for. Um, and the other, the other thing um, that you could find there, so you could go to johnlcooper.com backslash awake, which is for the title of the book, Awake and Alive. You can also go to johnlcooper.com backslash store as well, which the book pops up uh, right there. The other cool thing that John is doing that I didn't get to ask him about or touch upon um, is in relationship to Giving Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Uh, His heart ministry is Compassion International, and he's actually doing a cool event for them on December the 11th. Um, and so if you wanted to check that out, you go to compassion.com. And if you just scroll down, you'll see John Cooper's big uh, big mug right there. All right. Um, next up, I've got David Aikman. We are going to survey some headlines from around the world, um, particularly significant developments in China in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay tuned for that.
1: When you feel helpless, where can you turn? I suggest you turn to one of Jesus' most intriguing teachings about prayer. This is Max Locato. Luke tells a story of a persistent neighbor looking to borrow bread at midnight. Imagine it's you ringing the doorbell. The door opens. What are you doing here? He asks. Well, a friend of mine has arrived for a visit, and I've nothing for him to eat. Finally, he takes you to his pantry and... As a result, your surprise guest doesn't have to go to bed hungry, all because you spoke up on behalf of someone else. This is intercessory prayer at its purest, and this prayer gets God's attention. If your cranky and disgruntled neighbor will help you out, how much more will God do? This is Max Locato. My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: All right, checking in with our friend from across the pond, David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Welcome back, sir.
3: Thank you, Carmen. Very nice to be with you again. Yeah,
0: oh, it's lovely to have you. Let's um, let's lead off with news out of China. Uh, the Cardinal of Hong Kong is speaking out against the renewal of a secret deal between the Chinese government and the Vatican tell us uh, tell us about this individual who I know you know personally and about this deal um, that is of grave concern to uh, particularly Roman Catholics in China.
3: Well uh, Cardinal Zen, as you say I, I did know him personally and I talked to him a great deal about the situation that Catholics in China, two decades ago when I was writing Jesus in Beijing. He's extremely well-informed, and he understands exactly how the communists deal with, with regimes or organizations that really don't understand what they're up to. And I think he believes that the Chinese communist party basically pulled the wall over the eyes of the pope who was at least partially sympathetic to their approach because he's been a supporter of um, sort of revolutionary liberation theology, which is very similar to what the communists want to do. So he, cardinals then realized that this particular pope was simply not equipped to realize what the... CCP was doing behind his back and how they completely turned the thing upside down.
0: When we talk um, about—and thank you for reminding us uh, about the book, uh, Jesus in Beijing, How Christianity is Transforming China and Changing the Global Balance of Power. Um, David Aikman is the author. Um, When we talk about the impact of religion on politics— Particularly when we're talking about China, um, are the are the recent moves by the communist regime to have communism and individuals who represent communism to have them worship and glorified, um, or strip churches of their uh, the the privilege of meeting together? Does that surprise you at all, or do you think this is kind of predictable?
3: Well. I- I I wouldn't have predicted the degree to which the regime has gone back to the worst days of Mao Zedong Mm. several decades ago and is glorifying the Communist Party and not even allowing a token uh, presentation of Christian faith in normal conditions. And the degree of idolatry towards the party itself It's really rather unusual to me because he must know how absolutely offensive that whole concept is to Christians all over the world.
0: Well, and when we think about what Christians in China are enduring, you know, there are probably people listening right now who don't know what the communist government is requiring of local congregations. Talk with us about You know, the requirement to have Communist Party flags, pictures of communist leaders in the sanctuary. Uh, Talk with us about these propaganda distribution centers that are set up in areas prior to somebody actually being able to enter into a worship venue.
3: Well, first of all, of course, if you are under 18, you're not allowed to enter any place of worship, Islamic, Christian or uh, Buddhist Without uh, even with your parents, if they approve, you're not allowed to go if you're under 18. And then when you get there, they have these portraits of Mao and Xi Jinping and other Communist Party bigwigs uh, to whom you're supposed to pay respects and not exactly pray to them, but certainly pray support for them and. The Communist Party is completely controlling the content of all the sermons that are being preached in Catholic or Protestant churches. I mean, this is really harks back to a much more severe time decades ago when they were actively trying to close down uh, churches all over China. So this is a very destructive development.
0: David, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's pivot our attention to Iran. Uh, The headline there is the assassination of a nuclear scientist. That conversation with David Aikman up next. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with David Aikman. Uh, David, the alleged assassination of a nuclear scientist in Iran uh, is complicating relationships further. The Iranians are blaming the Israelis. The Israelis are not commenting. Uh, the The Iranians are likening it to the assassination of Soleimani by a U.S. drone strike in January. Uh, CNN is now reporting that uh, this um, Moshan Fakhrizadeh. I'm probably mispronouncing that, um, was killed um, uh, by a remote-controlled machine gun in another car. Uh, What is going on here, and why does it matter?
3: Well, it matters because, interestingly enough, there were reports uh, last week, uh, not confirmed by the Israeli authorities, that warnings had gone out to Israeli military commanders to be prepared for hostilities from Iran. And this seemed to come out of the blue, nobody knew what they were talking about. But obviously, if indeed the Israeli Mazar was involved with planning this assassination of Parikh Saadi, it would have been because they assumed that the Iranians would retaliate with a vicious attack against, uh, at least, Israeli military installations and probably against Israeli civilians. So one of the fears is that the retaliation might take the form of an attack upon a Jewish center in some different country or, of course, in the United States, if they could do that. But uh, the retaliation is something that the Israelis had to be very concerned about because it lead it could lead to even greater hostilities between the two countries.
0: So, when we talk about Israeli-Iranian relations, um, it's not a far step then to want to talk about U.S.-Iranian relations. Certainly, under President Trump, um, who you know, pulled pulled the United States out of the multilateral nuclear deal with Iran, um, but who also has imposed very crippling economic sanctions on the country uh, as his term of presidency draws to a conclusion. And we anticipate a, a president elect Biden and the team that he is putting together. Um, what do you anticipate in terms of some shifts there in relationship to Iran?
3: Well, I think uh Biden, if he becomes the president, don't forget that's still um, partially up for grabs legally at this point. But were he to become president, I think Biden has said publicly that he would try to return to the uh, five plus one agreement with Iran to uh, supposedly tame its nuclear weapons uh, program. But in fact, the Iranians have proved again and again that they're simply not trustworthy. They don't keep agreements that they make internationally, and especially on issues of nuclear weaponry. And Farid Zadi was a high-ranking officer in the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is sort of the armed component of the Ayatollah regime in Iran. So he certainly wasn't sort of a mild-mannered, retiring um, scientist who minded his own scientific business. He was actively involved in the whole Iranian nuclear program. So he certainly was likely to be a target. After all, Iran's motto is death to America and death to the Zionists and Iran says it wants to wipe the state of Israel off the world map. Well, if that isn't about as destructive an aspiration as you can express, I don't know what is. So it's hardly surprising that Israel struck in the way they did.
0: All right. And, uh, David, I'd like to also talk about uh, the developments in Ethiopia in the uh, Tigray, Tigray See again. I need a I need a pronunciation manual.
3: Tigray. T-
0: Tigray. 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 Tell us uh, tell us about the developments in that region um, in the last few days.
3: Well, the the prime minister of uh, Sudan who actually got a Nobel Prize, who is generally considered to be a fairly moderate guy. Nevertheless, has presided over a ferocious policy to suppress graves irredentist aspirations to try and uh, sort of declare itself independent of Ethiopia. And the regime has had a ferocious attack on the capital of uh, Mekelle, And apparently this has caused severe uh, civilian casualties, plus the fact that the Ethiopians are accused of having used phosphorus, which is an extremely dangerous um, weapon to use because it burns through skin, it burns through everything it touches. And if that's the case, if the regime is using these very harsh uh, weapons, then I think it's going to be very difficult to manage uh, a ceasefire of any... Other countries try to
0: help them uh, create. Um, David, when we uh, when we talk about foreign policy in relationship to the United States and the rest of the world, um, you know it matters who is in the Oval Office. It matters, you know, who the executive of the nation is. Um, I'm I'm imagining that globally there are some rumblings uh, in terms of the differences that are anticipated from a Trump to a Biden administration. Um, Can you highlight a few of those?
3: Yes. Well, several countries have called up uh, supposedly President-elect Biden, whatever his position is, to congratulate him because many countries were very unhappy, both allies and adversaries of the United States, They were unhappy with the way uh, President Trump conducted business with them. And they would be happy to see a new person in the Oval Office. But it's not clear how drastically American foreign policy would change if Biden became president, because there are certain limitations of flexibility you have as commander-in-chief from the Oval Office, that things have been in motion in a certain different direction for a long time previously.
0: David, um, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Happy Advent season as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ Jesus. We won't be uh, with you next Monday as we will be uh, doing our final few days of winter share here on the air, so we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.
3: Okay, come and have a, a lovely few weeks, and, and I hope you enjoy it very much. If you
0: could, if you could just keep everything calm globally, um, that would be great.
3: If I could, I would be <laughs> in more demand than I am currently. In demand, so. <laughs>
0: All, right, All right, thank you so much. That's David Aikman, uh, editor of Godspeed Magazine. We'll be right back. I hope that you have uh, made an intentional Advent plan. Why? Well, because otherwise Advent is just going to uh, is going to evaporate and you will not have spent it well. So um, let me encourage you, if you haven't made an Advent plan yet, go ahead and make one today. It's not too late. I mean, Advent started yesterday, but, you know, I don't think you're behind until tomorrow. There you go. All right. So today's the day. Um, make an intentional Advent plan. Uh, get an Advent calendar, make one for yourself. Join us in reading through the Gospel of Luke during, um, during the season of Advent. You can do that by going to MyFaithRadio.com and just uh, opting in. You can opt in to the great giveaway as well. That'd be a great Advent opportunity for each and every one of us to intentionally do things that are kind. I mean, what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of us, right, to um, humility and kindness and mercy Right? To walk humbly with our God. Uh, so let me just encourage you to be intentional this Advent. Focus on who Christ is, the character of Christ, the nature of Christ, the person of Christ. Let this be a very Christocentric uh, time of life for us. As we dwell on who Christ is, we will Im- abide in him more richly, right? We will be setting aside the things of the world to focus intentionally for a period of time on the things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, how did he end up there? Like the ascension follows the resurrection, which follows the crucifixion, which follows, oh, that's right, the incarnation, which is what we celebrate during the season of Advent, the coming of Christ. Oh, yes, and anticipating his second coming as well. He is returning uh, from his place on high to this place again. Let us anticipate that during the season of Advent. Have a great day.